Hi there, my name's Dave and if you are joining us having been enjoying worship with us this morning, very warm welcome. And likewise, if you are accessing this teaching at a later date, it's brilliant to have you here with us and we really hope that it's a blessing to you. As Martin explained last week, we are spending four weeks in the Psalms and allowing them to bring us comfort and hope. There's a lot of discussion at the moment, there's a lot of opinions, and dare I say it, there's a lot of speculation. But what we want to do as a church is to settle down with the eternal truths of God and allow them to speak to us in really powerful and relevant ways. And so today we're going to be looking at one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible and arguably one of the most famous passages of literature ever, and that is Psalm 23. I remember when I was about 20 and I went travelling in India and we visited several churches and projects, but I found the whole thing both wonderful and a little bit scary. It was such a different cultural experience and it was very daunting travelling on my own, including an overnight train and uh, bearing in mind the warnings for travellers and the horror stories and stuff like that. And when I was making a journey on my own, uh, I would say this psalm to myself, perhaps even sing it to myself. Uh, there was a Stuart Townend version that was doing the rounds at the time. But don't worry, I won't be breaking into song in this video. But you might remember the song and it is beautiful. I certainly couldn't do it justice. This psalm brought me hope and comfort when I was scared. Today we're going to dig into it and we're going to ask God to bring something fresh from it. This psalm is really personal, it's not the corporate worship of we, us and they, but it's me, my, I. And it feels like it's this sort of overflow of David's personal experience with God. And I think one reason why people find this psalm so encouraging is that it expresses something authentic of uh, this experience with God that people are so hungry for in a personal way. And as we read of that in David's life, as he expresses it in the psalm, it helps us in our own life to take a step closer to God ourselves. This psalm goes right into the heart of the individual, of me, of you, and it brings a remarkable sense of hope and of peace. So if you could dig out your Bibles, I'd love us to read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The form of this psalm is really important. In the first three verses David refers to God as he. The Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores my soul. Then in verses four and five David refers to God as you, I will not fear for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And then in verse 6, it switches back to the third person. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord and so on. 
So it feels like he starts off talking about God and then that leads him talking to God and then out of that he reflects on himself. And it feels in that sense that David is weaving his theology with his prayer. They don't seem to exist separately. It feels like he almost, he just can't contain himself because as he talks about God, like this worship, this connecting with God, this speaking to him just bubbles out. He's giving a heartfelt response. He's giving us a window into how the truths of God have touched his heart. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this is quite a different sort of uh, picture to the fortress, the rock, the deliverer, the king that are explored in other Psalms. The shepherd lived with the sheep, lived as their guard, as their provider and as their doctor. And on our church website, there are talks by Josh Roberts on the Good Shepherd and uh, Roger By on the Shepherd Heart of God. So I don't feel like I need to dig too far into that today because you can go back and listen to them. Except to say that this is one of the most wonderful images of God, the shepherd. The shepherd leading the sheep to the resting place, the quiet waters, the green pastures, a place to feed, a place to rest. He cares for them. There's a lot of things that could rob us of our peace or our well-being at the moment. We need a resting place. We need quiet waters. Some of you know I really love to go fishing and as a raging extrovert I find sitting down by the quiet water really does something for me. So when I read this psalm it really does resonate. I shall not want or I shall not lack, I lack nothing, is a really interesting phrase. What do we no longer lack? I feel like I lack quite a few things at the moment, I'm not sure about you. Social contact with lots of people being the main one, and also in my circumstances, kind of time. There was a little while back where some of us were quite concerned we were gonna lack toilet paper or some of the basic essentials. It's still quite difficult to get hold of flour. We all do lack. You might be on your own at the moment. And so in that sense, lack sort of social interaction or contact. For others of us, it's almost the opposite of that. And we lack quiet, we lack peace, we lack space. That's one of the reasons that my videos so far have been so dark because I can only record them at, at night later on when uh, the little people who make noise have gone to sleep and the house is finally quiet. David seems to mean that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd wants them to have. What they need to be sustained is provided. Not that they're materially blessed beyond all the other sheep, but just that they have everything that they need, as long as they're with the shepherd. Another phrase that's worth exploring right in the beginning is, he restores my soul, he refreshes our soul. This is where the psalm is so powerful, because it doesn't just pat the reader on the head and say, there, there, it must be so hard for you, but it lifts their gaze to the one who's the source of strength, the source of hope, the source of comfort. He restores my soul. Can I tell you what doesn't restore my soul at the moment? Watching the news, or at least too much of the news, the live updates and stuff. It's good to know what's going on. Another thing that 
doesn't really restore my soul at the moment is two adults working full-time with two children at school in the same house. My life at the moment, I don't know what yours is like, but my life really does not feel like the quiet waters. It feels like the quiet waters have been taken up out of the stream and put in a pressure cooker. But for different ones of you at home, the pressures might be completely different. Perhaps you're on your own and that's really tough going. Maybe you're out working on the front line and that puts you at a much greater risk of catching this horrible virus. Perhaps you're in a vulnerable group and so you're shielding for 12 weeks. Whatever position this situation puts us in, the truth is the same, that he restores our soul. He refreshes my soul. There's so much strength and hope to be found in him. And he leads us on the right path for his name's sake. Well, how does he lead us then? That's an interesting question. Psalm 119, later on in the Psalms, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And as we read the Bible, the spirit makes it come alive in our hearts. And so God leads us. And, and God leads us not just in the direction of travel as such, but also the attitude and the motivation that we take with us. The paths are right there, paths of righteousness, another translation says, not just because we do the right things, but because we have the right motives. So it's the truth of the Bible transforming us on the inside by the Holy Spirit. The word of God and the spirit of God working together provide the leading that we need of God in our life. Romans 12 too says when God transforms our mind, that's when we can know his will. And so my prayer for you and for me in this time is that God would continue to transform us on the inside and help us to know his will, that he could lead us through such difficult circumstances. It's almost like in order to navigate on this path, in order to be led on this path, we must become new inside. And I think it's a really interesting expression, you know, for his namesake, not just for our own good, but for the glory of God. And I think that's a huge perspective to take with us into the valley. God is leading us on his path for his glory, not necessarily for our needs and comforts, and a kind of me-centred view of the situation, but for him and for his purposes and for his glory. And in a situation like the one we're in now, we can so difficult, uh, so easily be weighed down by the pressures and the difficulties of the moment. But actually, how is God using this situation? How is he leading us individually and together for his glory? Even the thought that God can be glorified through the way he works in me in this situation, refreshes my soul a little bit, gives me that sense of purpose and hope that he's at work. The way God leads me to act, the way he leads me to hand my anxieties over to him, the way he leads me to care for my family, all of this can bring glory to God. All of and this sense of being led, of, of being dependent, of being secure, of having one who is looking out for us, this picture of the shepherd, it's just such a beautiful reality. I've got some sort of stark news for you though. You are a sheep in this story. Now, often it would be mildly offensive to just label someone a farmyard animal. You just couldn't get away with it. 
especially not on the internet. It wouldn't go down very well if you call people a pig or a cow. But one of the most encouraging things I can ever say to you in all the world, including now, is read the beginning of Psalm 23. You're a sheep. And we move on to verse four. And David makes a huge point by switching the form of his words as we approach this darkest valley, as we approach the valley of death. Not he's with me, which is technically true, but you are with me, which is personal. It's direct. It's connected. The switch from his almost like his head knowledge to his actual personal experience, you exactly at the moment he enters the valley and this is an experience that we as God's people often have. The crisis of life, the crises of life draw us closer to God and obviously this passage gets read a lot at funerals and uh, with people towards the end of their life when there's a real risk of danger to their life and David himself had uh, knew exactly what that was like to be in danger of his life with Saul and Absalom situations that he was in. He also knew what it was like to tend to the sheep and to know that their life was in danger and to have to defend them. But the scope, I think, is far more than just the moment of death. It's any dark period that we go through. It's both, both and. I'm sure you can look back to really tough periods in your life and know just how close you were to God in it. If we look at the footprint story, most of us would say that we knew the most of God or felt the closest to God during some of the most difficult challenges that we've had. And many of us have experienced at different moments uh, during the last few weeks, uh, some of these really tough times, really difficult challenges. That moment where you just don't have much left but to reach out to God. At the start of the year, I gave a talk on a Sunday morning and I was talking about uh, church stuff and uh, things in the future. And on a personal level, I shared that a good friend of mine was terminally ill and, uh, and I was seeking to be a support to him. And also um, a close relative of mine was looking to move house. And those were, you know, sort of two things in my personal life that I was really looking to focus on in the early part of the year. Fast forward to about a month ago and, uh, and on the year anniversary of uh, when my own dad had died, I got the news that my friend had died. And, uh, and then the next day, I got the news that the, my relative's house sale that we'd been working on had fallen through. And I just kind of like sat there really. In fact, I actually sat here. This is where I got the call and found out that news. And it was like a proper sort of head in hands moment as you hang up the phone and you just realise that like everything you've been trying to work towards has just sort of fallen apart and the kind of I'd started the year with all sorts of hopes and dreams in God for the life and the future of the church and uh, and obviously now we've got some challenges we can't meet at all our buildings have been trashed by the flooding uh, we're all under pressure from this lockdown and then now the house sales fallen through and trying to move that forward. And in fact, the only thing that had actually happened the way I was expecting it to was that my friend had just died and, uh, and it just seemed so bleak, so brutal. Where do you go? What do you do next? So I prayed, 
God, I trust you and I know you, but at the moment, in these circumstances, I'm, I'm just not sure that I can see you. Can you help me to see your way in this? Because I want to follow. I, I just can't quite see. I, I believe that you are at work, but I just don't know how. I just can't see it. So could you help show me so that I can follow? We'd really wanted my relative to move house because we knew that they were going to have to have the 12 weeks of shielding. And so we wanted them to be closer to us so we could help look out for them. If they couldn't move, we would all be a little bit stuck. But what happened in the next seven days was really remarkable because as it happened, we managed to juggle it so they could still rent a property locally in the short term. And because they were now renting, not buying, they didn't have to wait for everything to go through so they could move a week earlier. And on the morning of this sort of mini move, if you like, the government announced that all house moves and all house sales needed to stop. So if our house sale had been going ahead, we would have been totally stuffed and it wouldn't have happened. But as it was, at noon, on the day the government announced that no one was allowed to move house anymore, the move had already happened and they were safely tucked in close to us so that we could look out for them. So seven days later, as I look back at the journey and I look back at the road, I could see 100% that God was there in the valley. He was working. It's just that at the time, I couldn't see it because the circumstances just seemed to work against it. The psalm also seems to imply that in the valley, there's a danger that we might sort of get angry with God and reject him. It's not the case that if we don't feel blessed by God, that he's not active, that he's there, that he's somehow let us down. He is leading us all the way. The pasture, the quiet waters and through the valley. Later on in the New Testament, in Philippians 4.19, where Paul writes, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That includes the good times and the bad. The circumstances don't affect the truth of that. But what they do do is they shroud, they affect our ability to see him at work. So we just need to pause and we need to ask him. In this dark valley, God is close by. The psalmist says, you are with me. You're near, you're present. And he's armed. The rod that was worn at the belt for defence and also the staff to walk with and to help the sheep if they go astray and just give them a little nudge, get them back on the path. David himself had killed wild animals with the rod that he's referring to. If anything tries to harm his little sheep in this dark valley, it's going to get bashed with that. But he might also give the sheep a little bit of a steer to make sure they stay on the straight and narrow and get through on the end. And now the image of the shepherd moves and the, uh, the, the psalm starts talking about the, um, the host of a gathering. And it's one thing to sort of like survive a difficulty and to come through it, but it's another thing to turn it into a triumph. Here we have a well-set table, it's prepared. There's oil for anointing. You could preach a whole series of sermons 
on the importance and significance of anointing with oil in the Bible. It's the ultimate sign, not just of closeness, but also of calling, anointing. The cup overflows. There's bountiful blessing. There's not just enough to scrape by. There's more than enough. It seems to be some sort of victory celebration where the enemies are either watching as captives or as uh, reluctant guests. In the Old Testament world, to eat at someone's table created a bond of mutual trust and loyalty and acceptance. To feast like this could also be a celebration of entering into a covenant with someone. In Exodus 24, the elders of Israel behold God and then they eat and they drink. And so it was, as we learnt a couple of weeks ago, with Jesus at the Last Supper. To be God's guest, to sit at his table, is to live with him, is to be close to him at his invitation. It feels like David has been on this remarkable journey from the pasture through the valley to the table and then right up to being in the house of the Lord forever. And again, we need to be careful. We don't isolate this verse and make it sort of like the norm for all of life. It's no accident that the psalm takes us through all of these different stages, the green pasture, the leading right the way through to the house of God, but in the middle is the dark valley and we all see all of those stages in our everyday life. So the point of verse five isn't just that life's one big party now, but it does also show that there are blessings in life and we should recognise them as gifts of God. David concludes that there's every reason to believe that God's goodness and his love and his mercy will follow him all his days. Some translations say his steadfast love. Goodness and love follow me like they're chasing us down. If only we stopped running ahead and going off in our own different directions and taking matters into our own hands. If only we stopped and waited on him and looked and saw what he was doing to sit and wait and then just see the hand of God who's on his way with love and goodness. I've seen that in my own life over the last few weeks, as I've mentioned. It doesn't change the circumstances as such. The valley does go dark, but he leads us and he leads us towards him and he provides for us and he blesses us. And ultimately, this banquet with God is a foretaste of the wedding feast that will happen in eternity. And that's amazing because... It's absolutely incredible how much of that imagery from the Last Supper two weeks ago is also there hundreds of years before in this very psalm. The Lord sets a table before us. The cup overflows. Jesus, when he actually came, he set the table before them. The cup took a whole new meaning. How amazing is this? Generation after generation, the Lord is setting a table before them in David's heart through his response to God when Jesus came doing it in person, all a foreshadow of what is going to happen in eternity. It's just a wonderful thing to bear in mind and consider. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What counts is being with God. He says in uh, Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So God is with us in the still waters. He's with us in the valley. 
and he sat with us at the feast. We're going to be with him both to the end of our days in this life and in eternity and forever. He's with us in all of it, every stage of life, right the way through and into eternity. I really want to thank you for tuning in today as I've been reading and reflecting on this psalm. I've really felt God stir me and provoke me and bring me a sense of hope and security and the bit about restoring my soul. I don't think you can read and reflect and meditate on this psalm and not have it have some sort of effect on your heart and give you that sense of hope and peace because these are the truths of God that we build our lives upon. So I'd really encourage you not just to listen to this talk but over the coming week to just take some time out of your schedule, whatever you're able to do, and uh, and sit with this psalm and read it and pray and ask God to speak to you and ask him to cause different parts of it to come alive in a new way. Let's not have it as a sort of thing that's so familiar that we just sort of read over it or gloss over it, but actually kind of understand how precious it is and spend some time with it and ask the Holy Spirit to cause it to really come alive in you in a new and a fresh way, both this week and in these circumstances that we find ourselves. There is so much wonderful truth in the Psalms. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He prepares a table for us. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. God bless you this week as you think about these things. We'll be praying for you. We really hope that you find and see God in your situation. And we're here if you need us. Thank you.